Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour, your host here on the Future of Sport on All In Sports Talk. Uh, this is my final interview today on episode uh, 22. Uh, delighted to welcome Kevin Rye. I've started on a briefing with Kevin to call him a football man, uh, but that really doesn't describe his full portfolio. Uh, fellow of the RSA, uh, member of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. So we've got some things in common. But I'd like to begin, Kevin, by talking about your uh, supporter communication, particularly in football. And tell us how this started for you, Kevin. Well, it started as a fan. Um, uh, I've, I've, I've been a Wimbledon fan since I was... Five, six, whenever my dad took me to the old Wimbledon when we were playing in um, the top end of Plough Lane in uh, uh, in, a, in the seventies, um, and you know I carried on going. Or you know when I got when it got and when it got to um, the rotten problems that happened in two thousand and one when um, when the owners, the Norwegian owners of Wimbledon Football Club, proposed effectively franchising our league place off to Milton Keynes and I became involved basically right. and got involved with the Independent Supporters Association um, then helped out with, with the reformation I did a lot of media work communications work um, and yeah that, that, that was it and then I was um, in 2004 a couple of years later um, Supporters Direct needed someone to work for them because they had no one doing communications they were in a bit of a state over funding, they needed extra help, um, just someone to do casework as well, and, uh, and I came in on a three-month contract and I was there for 11 and a half years, so that's where my, that's where I kind of was steeped in what I do, and, and, and then I'm now, uh, I'm now independent of that, and I work, work as, a consult as a consultant, like probably a lot of us do these days. Kevin, I mean... Wonderful intro, sets the scene marvellously. You know, I have a mantra being in, I suppose, notionally academia, you know, uh, once a teacher, always a student. And I like the idea that, you know, we're all fans, you know, at whatever level. And, and I mean, that's centric to everything we do. I think your Wimbledon story, you know, we could have a whole thesis on that, perhaps. And uh, my memories are not good ones, not necessarily relating to Wimbledon, but, you know, John Aldridge missed penalty, <laughs> Vinnie Jones. He missed the penalty, Alan. He saved it, yeah. Correct me, correct me, yeah. But let's park that for a minute. Uh, been reading recently, uh, Kevin, you know, I'm a massive fan of all things supporters and the, the whole fan engagement thing, and I think it's very important to get stakeholder uh, total engagement, which is probably a difficult thing sometimes because fans have great demands just as owners have their own agenda. But I noticed in a recent article you talked about a structured engagement or structured relationships. Perhaps, you know, you can kind of discuss a little bit or inform my audience a little bit about your perspectives on some of those considerations in your recent articles, Kevin. Well, structured dialogue, as I as I tend to call it, right. known as structured engagement, structured yeah, structured dialogue. Some people still use the the, the very um, much looser term, in my view, of fan engagement, which I think is unhelpful in English football. And I and I do narrow it down to English football because it's where I'm focusing at the moment. Though I have worked all over Europe as well with supporters direct Europe, and then well, now they're now an independent spin-off called SD Europe. Um, <coughs> It's uh, the idea that you 
the relationships you have with your supporters have to be done in a structured way, and that means it can mean quasi-legal or sort of, you know, you know, kind of memorandum of understanding, stuff that isn't necessarily in the technical sense enforceable, but creates a structure, a framework around which you govern that relationship. And it can mean contractual. I mean, Swansea City have had historically a more sort of contractual relationship in terms of the way they, um, their relationship with their club is uh, overseen, if you like. I mean, they actually ran into difficulties last year quite famously over actually over the appointment of Bob Bradley yeah. as manager, um, where the trust, the supporters' trust, who represent the interests of supporters on the board, weren't consulted on the appointment of a manager. Um, I understand because the, the, the new American majority owners uh, and the the chairman, uh, who was previously a shareholder, didn't... Um, uh, didn't uh, use that relationship, and, okay. and you know all of these appointments are always done in that way. The success of Swansea was built on structured dialogue, basically, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and so um, the idea is that the formalities required. The reason for that is because the relationship people, t- you know, there are some people out there who talk about what we can learn from American sport, and there are some, there are some things definitely. I mean, in terms of the customer relationship, if you like, which does exist, there is a customer form of relationship in one part between fans and clubs when they're purchasing something, when they're buying a match ticket, when they're going to a game. That that definitely is a customer style of relationship. Some people call it supporter relations, supporter customer relations. And you have to think of the fan there as a customer, if you like. That's necessary. But actually the point is, is it's so much deeper than that. As we know, I wouldn't go effectively to war with my football club. Um, I, I, sorry, I wouldn't effectively go to war with my local supermarket. Um if it was moving. I mean, I might be quite upset and cross about it. I might write a letter, etc. But the idea that I would then go off and set up AFC supermarket is a, is a ridiculous <laughs> idea. And it, and it is, uh, you know, my attempt, what I'm trying to do is to come I in. I'm carrying on what, you know, what my former colleagues at Supporters Direct still do in some respect. But I'm, I'm specialising because I think there is a massive hole where these relationships are concerned that people are trying it, they're attempting to do these, establish these sorts of relationships and there are requirements in the football league for them to do so, for example, but they don't really know what that looks like and I do and and I think that this can be done well and done properly and football can do an awful lot better in recognising the need for this structure because fans are stakeholders in the truest sense of the word and because dialogue and this is a key word that gets used a lot, has to mean something. And I would suggest everyone in football go and look it up in the dictionary because it isn't about talking at people. Kevin, I mean, I'm just going to pause momentarily here. I mean, I share much of what you're saying, but like any fan and, and maybe like any critical commentator, there would be points of issue but clearly, where there is a point of issue, it needs further discussion, further debate, and clearly, you know, the three Ds, as we could almost call them now, and crucially, further dialogue. Uh, and, I mean, there's so many points that maybe I could pick you up on. Let me give you an example, maybe. Uh, as a keen Liverpool fan, um, you know, fans today because they're swamped by almost uh, 24-7, um, 
either, you know, information or many times fake news or clickbait or whatever you want to talk about them. But they always believe they're experts. I think Mark McCormick once famously said on a flight every time he bumps into somebody, you know, and talks about advertising, everybody's an expert. But in that relationship here, you know, how do the fans really get through to uh, get through to the owners? Because they obviously have, you know, a consideration here. And, and I sometimes wonder whether this is picked up by owners and how much they will respond to what fans want. Well, <clears throat> let's quickly have a look at Liverpool. I mean, Spirit of Shankly being one of the most successful yeah. supporters groups in the, in the country at the moment, um, they, uh, they commissioned me to do a piece of work um, which was effectively in parallel with the work that Populous did. Yeah. Um, now, that was commissioned by Liverpool Football Club um, because the relationships had collapsed. They hadn't deteriorated, they'd collapsed. Um, and this was following the implementation of the, the Liverpool Football Club Supporters Committee um, and this apparent brave sort of new world of doing things. And, you know, it was a welcome change because actually the idea was a good one, <coughs> if you like. However, um, as my report shows, um, and it's on my website, um, the problem was that the supporters committee itself effectively got used as a, I mean, it's not too strong a word to say a dumping ground for supporters' issues, uh, and that ranged from anything from, com from the, cons the consideration, believe it or not, of commercial, effective commercial partners in some, in some cases, because they were included in the supporters committee, commercial uh, season ticket, I think it was, um, I can't remember the exact name, but that right. was a form of, the form of um, so it was companies basically who had season ticket season tickets at the ground. Um, they, their, their interests were lumped in with people who were local fans who were local and went to every game, to international fans who half the time couldn't even get into the country because they needed a visa to come to the actual meetings that were established. And eventually, what happened was this constant use of this term dialogue, which I've already highlighted and which I'll go into a little bit more at some point because it's very, very interesting. Um, they had a process of discussion of dialogue with fans with fans around. Um, this was with Liverpool fans, um, of Spirit of Shanky and the Spine Cop group. Yeah. And they called this thing dialogue. They said that the, the, the senior representatives who were there were prepared to, to, to move on these issues. They were exhibiting what's necessary when you talk about dialogue, which is the willingness to move on an issue as well. Um, uh, 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 you know, it's not just about, this is two-way symmetrical if you want to get into the PR yeah. terminology, as you'll probably know. And instead of that process being honoured and of being, you know, by, by, by senior executives, by the owners, by the club, having given also the permission of the, the representatives who were there from the club to do this, to have this process... It was suddenly ruled that, that, in fact, this was to do with ticket prices. That ticket prices would, in fact, would would the system would remain as it is, and no, there will be no change. Now, this just came out of nowhere. So, there are two issues here, from in my opinion. What, well, three issues actually. Number one, modernity. Communication is complex now. It's complex because it's open. There are more, if you like, um, there's there's more ability for. For, for just something to come out of the blue, as yeah. we know. Donald Trump shows it all the time, although there starts to be a pattern. But, you know, you can completely create chaos just by saying something in a moment, and it changes the discussion. You can't control the debate in the way you used to. You have to be much more intelligent. Second of all is 
the concept of, of dialogue and, and actual um, um, a, a, a structure behind things. Now, that, this is something that um, football has been historically bad, and, 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 and actually honouring the relationship between fans and their clubs. Now, clubs historically were the, pro- the property of individuals, largely local owners, but usually very, you know, effectively the same. They were barons. They were people who owned something locally. They were important. They didn't have to talk to the fans because they kind of knew them, because they lived locally, because they kind of usually were local. They were, in many respects, the club, if you like. They, they, they honoured it. They didn't get paid. The rules said they couldn't be paid. There were all sorts of things in Formula and Formula that stopped fat owners being making daft decisions. And the final sort of part is that um, uh, is is that um, uh, is that that relationship um, uh, hasn't been tended, hasn't been dealt with. Um, we have been um, we we've kind of decided to treat football clubs as these special beasts, these special um, institutions, whilst equally saying they can do what they like. And, and behave how they wish, and these things clash. So what you have is an expectation on the part of fans that clubs will consider their views. You have the, the language spoken by quite a lot of clubs, and some try to do it genuinely, but what you generally have is a culture that isn't really fitting with this idea of dialogue. Yep. It still kind of doesn't know what it means and doesn't know what the implications are. And so when I hear this thing of... Well, fans' expectations... Well, you know what part of the problem is for me is that clubs have not managed expectations yep. and they need to learn to do that better. And uh, and I speak as someone who works with clubs. I work with, you know, some works like, you know, football managers I sometimes talk to and give advice to. And we all need to just... I, <laughs> if I was going to sort of sum up my view on this, is let's all just be a bit more grown up instead of being driven by whatever our opinion is yeah. of what a club is. Let's sit around and actually work that out yeah, in each circumstance. Let's work out what the implications are for our club and for what we do. And let's try and build that relationship properly and be grown up about it. As I said, come back to that Liverpool case. They didn't do that. And then SOS, Stein Cop, walked out 10,000 people, forced the hand of the club. That is not the way I want to see the relationship develop. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, clearly, passion in your voice says everything to me here, Kevin, and I completely agree. And, you know, I had some quotes here, and you've actually bounced them back at me. And, you know, when I look at FSG and the, the, the supporters as, you know, customers and, and the way they had to retract almost and everything to do with that. Sport, though, is always, and particularly football, um, the passion uh, and, and you know the, the, the sheer involvement I mean Jackson, uh, Hicks and Gillette famously talked about franchise if FSG have talked about customers they've clearly not got it and that there, there, there needs to be the cultural change I think is clearly one of the most evident things here do you think more generally you know I can touch upon American sport I've got a lot of contacts in the American sport and entertainment business if you like but when we talk about particularly football as we've illustrated I think already you've got to look a lot lot deeper than that but you know in terms of doing the exercise as a lot of clubs perhaps feel they can do 
do you think that they actually have got the platforms right to involve fans more readily and to manage those expectations that you talk about? What advice would you generally try, try to give, Kevin, to how football clubs could do this more effectively and better? Well, I mean, there are two parts. This is tech, which I'll come on to very quickly afterwards, yep. and then there's the actual sort of principles. So, uh, I, I've studied and interviewed a lot of executives not you know over the last year um, about st structured dialogue about these relationships <clears throat> one of the best people I interviewed was a fellow called Lee Strafford right. who, who was the ex-chairman of Sheffield Wednesday founder, uh, founding chief executive of Plusnet took them to market um, now sets up tech businesses so he's a real he's someone who straddles the concept of football as a feeling and football uh, communica football communication as driven by feeling and, and 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 you know culture and all those sorts of things and communication tools things you use to communicate the thing that i try to get it, it's a conversation i have a lot with people about fan engagement and there's articles where i say i don't like the term fan engagement and i, d I don't really like the term okay. fan engagement when it's trying to describe what i do and what i think is important in football and my experience is is, is vital in football and what, what, what I think people do is they, they use in the grappling to try to understand technology sometimes as well, they, they, they use technology as an ex, as a, instead of building those relationships. So when you go, you know, what I find comes back, literally and metaphorically, can be in the best and kindest way possible, a bit of a blank stare when you say this structured dialogue thing and these relationships. And I think people struggle with it. They don't actually necessarily completely understand and I'm talking about people who've been in the game for a long time so we have to find a way of getting people to break this divide down because that divide is cultural it's historic clubs are not in tune with the idea of opening up their decision making processes and saying oh these are our financial issues sometimes because you're going to have to talk about them because it helps you to manage expectations which we talked about already for example so the, you know, this is the brokering of that relationship is what I really specialise in and what is really important and making sure you, you can then build the structures around it that you need, you know, the, the rules, if you like, that govern it, which are really important. People go, oh, rules, uh. <laughs> They help to govern not when it's going right, they help to govern when it's going wrong. <laughs> so they are vital. That's why we have contracts, as yeah. everyone knows. Tech. Tech is something that, you know, you look at the American, you know, and I know there are some exceptions like the Seattle Sounders, but there are some... There are fantastic, in more general terms, fan engagement, the idea that fans are important as a unique type of customer in American sport, for example, you know, or as a sort of type of customer that needs a little bit more than just, you know, what Walmart do for their customers or Tesco over here. Yeah, some brilliant engagement, some brilliant stuff goes on there. Um, and it's really important that clubs have the right ways of doing it and they don't dive too deep into, you know, I find... You know, Twitter is, I mean, lots of people found out Twitter is one of the places where you can make the biggest mistakes because Correct. you know, yeah. you've got people used to just use it as a broadcast medium and then they start basically having these massive conversations with people and they get themselves in trouble that way instead. So there's a, there's a balance, there's lots of great tools that people can use and I say American sport can be really good at that. And actual, you know, I think <clears throat> the, big, the biggest lesson I've learned over all the years I've done this, whether I've been working at a club on the Isle of Wight or advising on the relationship between Liverpool fans and uh, and the football club, is that you kind of have to inhabit 
um, it, it's about mindset. And when you when you undertake this relationship, when I talk to you over this uh, over Skype, I'm using technology. Yeah. I shouldn't talk to you any different to the way that I talk to you in a room uh, or the way I talk to you on, online. Yeah. And when I put a video up, I need to think about who am I talking to. So I find a lot of the mistakes that get made when it comes to 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 structure dialogue, to um, to more broadly and generally fan engagement as a general sort of area, if you like, within which I suppose I would grudging, begrudgingly admit I've specialised. <laughs> as I said, don't like the term. And it, a lot of it is about the ability to step back. A lot of it is about strategic communication. You you know you mentioned my membership and your membership of the CIPR. Yeah. I think I think this isn't necessarily just a problem in football or sport. This is a problem in the way people practice public relations. Mm. And and I think people need to learn to, to be able to step back and to understand their audiences better and to communicate better well their publics rather. Yeah. You know, because these people are engaged with you. They're not you know, especially in football, they want to be part of this relationship. This isn't just about buying a bottle of wine from Ocado. I mean, Kevin, suddenly, like, the best interviews I always find, you know, you branch out, you want to branch out, and we could talk all day, and I know you would be able to. I want to try and bring some summations to some or all of the commentaries, and this will be continued. You know, this isn't a promise or a threat. It's an absolute necessity because I want to continue this debate in lots of other ways. But if I was summarising some of those things you say, let's all have meaningful conversation. Who are you talking to? Respect and understand that audience. And I'm glad you made that public relations commentary as well because, you know, the need to have um, two-way symmetric all the time and to be able to uh, understand and respect everybody you're dealing with but I think it's also important to make sure that you implement and have a platform to get implementation through so if we were summarizing perhaps you know supporter communications this supporter dialogue how do you see I don't want a crystal ball gaze here but how do you see perhaps some some of the clubs particularly at the elite level EPL if we like managing this process in the next few years and will it be more effective and more successful uh, the more people perhaps understand the tech perhaps the modernity and also the importance of how important you know fans being the oxygen if you like of all things to do with football um, well I mean I'm kind of you know, I've come from a background of fan ownership, often is often seen, or ownership, involvement in the ownership of football clubs. Um, and um, some people look at me and think, oh, well, you're just going to tell us to, to sell a stake to the fans. And yeah, ideologically, I, I prefer it. I think it's better. Yeah. Um, and, and I've never been, I've never been, ever, ever been shy about that. I would never deny that, that, that I prefer that. I'm, I'm obviously, I'm a part owner of my own club at AFC Wimbledon. However, we live in the real world, right? Yeah. And... And actually, I think there's a lot of good practice out there by privately owned football clubs. Uh, you know, Fulham at one, for example, Brighton in lots of different ways. Millwall, believe it or not, <laughs> lots of people will be surprised at this. Millwall are one of the best proponents of the type of model that I'm talking about okay. in, in many respects. Suits them. They might that might not work in. And I so I would urge people not to suddenly go off and copy Millwall. You have to do this properly. But you know, there are some great stuff. There's some great stuff out there. What Lee Strafford did at Sheffield Wednesday when it was in an absolute mess was brilliant because he went in and he opened up communication um, 
the thing that the obvious pull that that football clubs in the top flight, the EPL as you call, you know, we have to call them. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. The big no, it's fine. I completely understand. I understand industry language. I, I'm happy <laughs> with that. It's okay. I understand. The the thing that people have to realise is that regardless of whether or not you believe, like Richard Scudamore once said, that um, that the fan over in Singapore is equal to the fan in Manchester. And I'm not sure I completely agree because the point is, is kind of the engine of the club, and you have you have concentric circles. It's a bit cynical, I think, to say that everyone's the same because what you're doing there is deliberately trying to create a different reality, and that reality doesn't exist. So Richard Scudamore, in that case, is wrong. <laughs> I'm pleased to say. <laughs> the, thing, the reason he's wrong, and the reason that you need to manage these relationships differently, it probably comes down to public relations sort of theory and public relations, uh, good public relations practice, is that. The political reality, uh, I know people hate having this word political tossed around, but it's true. The political reality is that a fan in Salford or a fan in, you know, Trafford or around, you know, in, in, in Greater Manchester, and there are many of them despite people's cynicism about Man mm-hmm. United fans, or a fan, you know, say fans over in Liverpool, they have, a, 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 you know, the people who are going all the time, they have a different relationship, they look at the club in a different way, it makes it, you know, being there, being tied up with it all the time, in the pubs, I know this can also be replicated to a certain extent, but these are different levels of audience, different types of audience, different types of public, different types of stakeholder, <coughs> whatever, what have you, um, and the thing that EPL clubs are going to have to get their heads around, and I don't think the EPL clubs, and I think, I think the Premier League itself is struggling with this, now it's Engage, uh, engaging in this structured dialogue with, with Premier League supporters groups. They're not realising that these supporters groups um, uh, see the relationship in that way, that, that, that this is a sort of small p political, politically, they, are, um, they are, are representing these people. And it's very important. You saw that played out in, in Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, and that's what my report reflected, was that reality wasn't being reflected in the way Liverpool communicated and dealt with their supporters. And... The Premier League is going to have to wake up to that. Interestingly, you know, and then it can manage. You know, it needs to segment better, not in a not in a terrible marketing way where you just kind of you know you put them onto their little blocks. This has to be good human communication as well. The the, the thing that's interesting is I'm finding is, is a little bit further down where perhaps there's a bit less pressure. There's a little bit less sort of it's li- a little bit less about international fi- high finance. You know, Qatari governments and all that kind of stuff. And, complexities around that um, there's some, as I've already hinted at some quite good practice and the you know the, 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 the you know someone like the EFL for example the Football League can really show I think can show some genuine um, leadership right uh, in this area and I know it struggles you know I've had conversations with people there um, and yeah, I know they. I know they are willing to do this stuff. Absolutely, um, and I know that some of their chief executives are willing to do. It. I know, you know, for example. But I think they don't always necessarily know. So how do we get there then? What does that look like? What What are the implications for our owners and chief executives? And because there has to be a big culture change there um, among some of them. Um, and you know, so what what comes is I hope. A, 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 an honest conversation, an honest dialogue, perhaps yeah. within football, um, at, at, at clubs, within groups of clubs, you know, divisions within 
um, types of clubs perhaps right. uh, you know and uh, about what the implication of this is and also that that conversation that dialogue has to include supporters and it cannot just be a word that gets thrown around because you know if you're not doing dialogue don't call it that right. because you're fooling yourselves a bit as well what we've got to do is just be you know it sounds terribly easy but it isn't which is kind of why I hate this in a way is that we have to just learn to do these relationships in a different way because we're moving from a very different form of club the expectation is greater on you now you know as a political entity if you like as fans as a political organised group out there in fandom you know I know a lot of people out there I've helped to organise a lot of those groups they are organised and they will I mean I'll put it in this way they'll they'll be for breakfast if you don't start to learn this and they get frustrated and I don't think it's good that that happens because I want the kind of mature relationship that as I've already mentioned you've seen at at some of those other clubs there are so many opportunities here so I think opening up an honest conversation not being defensive not broadcasting at people realising that dialogue has implications and has a process and a method and you're going to have to stick to it and and sometimes be damned the wax and wane of football and the transfer market and the excitement that's when you need good strategic thinkers in there and you know if I'm honest those are the people I want to talk to as much as I can because I think there's also some terrific opportunities amongst those there's some really good people in there and they need to be helped and encouraged too Kevin Sadly, we've run out of time, but I think it's a great stopping point. No, a really great stopping point. There was always having to be a great stopping point. It was just going to be difficult to decide when to get off. But in truth, a good, honest football man comments. Listen, please. There's some great content there for you all out there, my audience, particularly in football. I thank you immensely, Kevin. I want to have some conversations with you later on. I'd love to, well, I will invite you back onto the show because I think there are so many things that we need to comment on. Just tell my audience, though, before we sign off, Kevin, how they can make contact with you, particularly some of those owners and other stakeholders, perhaps, who need to be talked about and talked with and have the conversation. How can we contact you? Everything's on my website, kevinride.org, and and if you're brave enough, if you really want to, then my email is kevin.rightgmail.com and my phone number is obviously with the UK dialing code is 07932067425 and it's always on I'm happy to talk um, and yeah you know just drop by and read as I said talk to me if you want to and I'm on Twitter as well at Kevin Ryan Brilliant, Kevin. I like the phrase, you know, 24-7. We never close in our world. Let's keep it that way. Great to talk to you. You have a great season as the season starts to come round again. And we'll speak very soon, Kevin. Cheers. Cheers.